everyone. Welcome to A Gut Feely. My name is Jake and I'm joined here today with Dave. As health coaches and educators, we've helped thousands of clients optimize their life by healing their gut. Our aim with this podcast is to provide you with some of those tools. Now, before we get into it, don't forget to check out the show notes for links to our social media profiles. And if you like what we've got to say, go with your gut and give this podcast a follow. Now, let's get into today's show. Okay, so today we're going to cover actually quite a lot of ground. We want to talk about um, a whole stack of different conditions and what could be causing it or what could be contributing to it, and then some ideas for people to consider as to how they can approach these different conditions. And these are all going to have to do with, with the skin, okay? So we're going to talk about how a lot of different skin conditions, whether it's acne or eczema, psoriasis, or, and there's a few others we're going to touch on, how these could in some way actually link back or originate within the gut. Uh, and we, I mean, there's a lot to cover, isn't there, Day? So we're going to sort of rapidly shoot through them. So um, try to keep up. There's going to be a lot there. But just before we jump into our first one, we'll probably start with acne because that's one we get stacks of questions about. But before we jump into it, why are we even talking about the gut in context of skin? How are those two connected? Yeah, I mean, obviously for people who don't know much about the skin, I think, I mean, let's just keep it really simple, okay? It's the largest organ in the body. And look, if you look at some of its primary functions, and I'm not just saying this is it, but obviously it plays a key role in detoxification. Yeah. And that's important to understand, especially when it, you're dealing with high amounts of bacterial byproducts and these types of things. And also it's a physical barrier. So it's connective tissue and it's primarily made up of type 1 collagen. Mm-hmm. And it's a, so for people who don't know, it's a key player in your innate immune system. So what we're talking about here is like initial responder. Okay, so it's it's a key player in that. And the stuff that makes up, you know, like the building blocks that we actually need for like connective tissue and type 1 collagen, well, that's things like hydroxyproline, proline, glycine, arginine, glutamine, key amino acids, okay? We need things like B6, pyridoxine, or if you take it as a supplemental supplemental form, P5P, pyridoxal 5-phosphate, vitamin C helps with the repair of collagen. And we need things like manganese, we need zinc, we need copper, Okay, like this is like the soup that we need for connective tissue. So we talk about this a lot in relation to the epithelium and the mucosal cells. Okay, but you also need it for the for the skin, and the, and the body's just built on axes. Okay, so we talk a lot about the enteric nervous system. That's the nervous system that exists between your gut and your brain. The gut to liver axis, the gut to kidney axis. We've got the gut to skin axis as well. So looking after these axes is really imperative okay and so, but actually you, you just mean these connection points basically like this or connection this, yeah yeah well let me let me let me use one example I, I can't remember where i read this okay but i mean in terms of like how much bacteria we've got on the skin i mean that could be in the realms of like a trillion different bugs and like within the skin you get things like viruses and yes like you know potentially mites and all those type of stuff as well but bacteria fungi there's a thousand different species. I'm talking about species, not total amount of bacteria on the skin. And even like there's 150 different types of like candida and yeast and fungi. And there's about 80 on the skin. So, you know, if you've got like candida, my big point here, if you've got, because the gut is the mothership. Mm. So if you've got candida and yeast overgrowth, maybe something like small intestinal fungal overgrowth, well, you're going to have the, the yeast and the candida issues most likely on the skin as well. Mm. So this is what we're talking about, this gut-to-skin yeah. axis. And subcutaneous, which basically means it's a little bit deeper within the skin, 
So I'm just talking about the deeper layers, guys, for, for who, people who don't know what I'm talking about when I sub, sub subcutaneous. Okay, well, they actually, once upon a time, they just thought that really the bacteria was just on the surface. But they actually have shown that the microbiome is subcutaneous, is pretty deep in the skin. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that microbiome is actually really important for communication to the immune system because your skin is a big player in your innate immune response. And considering the microbiome play a key role in immunity, you would think, well, that that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's also like a, a priming of your immune system. Okay. I think what's interesting, there's a quote in medical in, in sort of like functional medicine, and it says that the external skins reflect the internal skins, right? And so the idea is, you know, external skins will kind of see what show what's going on in the gut. I think what's interesting with what you've just said there is there's so many parallels and similarities with what the gut is doing and what the skin is. So whether that's even to do with the type of tissue it is, you know, collagen tissue, the fact that it's acting as a physical barrier, the fact that it's got its own microbiome, you know, those are characteristics which are identical with both the gut and the skin. Yeah. Yeah. I always say that the body is just built on these connections Mm. and this, and this, and this communication. Okay. And if there's an issue in the mothership, there has to be, an issue in other regions within the body as well. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think the skin is just a great example. And a lot of the time when you do have these different types of skin issues and so forth, okay, where the major problem is really coming from is most likely the gut lining. Yeah. Yeah. Okay? And, that, and I guess that's what we're going to use as, as, as key examples here. Okay. Yeah. And, and some of the major types of bacteria that you get within the skin, like Staphylococcus aureus, I mean, it's pathogenic, uh, hemolytic uh, streptococcus, Cornobacterium, but you can also get small amounts of lactobacillus, bifidobacterium. You know, there's small amounts of that, okay, a little bit more prevalent within the gastrointestinal tract and other regions within the body, okay. But there's also, you know, my point here is that there's like, you can see the relationship in terms of what's going on on the skin, okay, to the actual gastrointestinal tract itself. Because a lot of these bacteria that I'm talking about, you can actually find within the gastrointestinal tract as well. Yeah. Yeah. And this is partly why, you know, we would use, symptoms, external symptoms as clues as to what's happening internally as well. You know, if someone's got a really good example, if someone's got like a, a skin infection and maybe they do a swab and they isolate what type of bacteria it is and they tell us it's, or maybe, you know, it's a yeast or whatever, that's really helpful from our perspective because it's saying, well, if you've got candida issues or yeast issues on your skin and, you know, and maybe your bloods are showing evidence of acetaldehyde or whatever, of course, it's going to be yeast issues internally in your gut as well. So they, they kind of inform, you know, one another as well. But Dave, we should jump into it, mate. So let's let's jump into acne, hey? That's one that I'm sure a lot of people want to know about. So obviously, there's different types of acne. There can be different causes. Where do we want to start? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a rabbit hole, this one. I mean, mm. I, I would say that they're there could be many reasons to, to what's actually contributing to this yeah. more for me from a gastrointestinal perspective. Yeah. Okay. And I think like maybe we just use a few examples and not try to go too deep into every single one. Okay. But yeah. they actually showed that I can't remember the study. So, you know, forgive me guys, if I don't get it hundred percent correct. <laughs> okay. But I think they had about like 80 people, 80 patients. Okay. And these people had really severe acne. And actually showed that these people had high reactivity to LPS. And for people who haven't been listening to the podcast, okay, we're talking about lipopolysaccharides. These are fatty acid molecules and long-chain carbohydrate molecules like polysaccharides, monosaccharides. And this makes out the outer membrane of negative gram bacteria. And a lot of negative gram bacteria does tend to make up SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth as well. Okay, So my point being okay, is that they actually had very high reactivity 
to LPS, okay? And it was, all, it was also shown they also had very, very high levels of LPS, mm. okay? So could there be actually a link here to very, very high levels of negative gram bacteria overgrowth and, you know, pathogenic strains of negative gram bacteria and also correlating with, you know, acne issues? Mm. And even, you know, I, I think another study, they showed that 54% of people with pretty bad acne, okay, also had an alteration okay or they didn't really have the full beneficial flora okay? yeah yeah that's the so, one i was aware of yeah 54 percent. those in, in yeah. people with acne 54 percent of those had had an altered microflora yeah yeah and you know one thing that i want to bring up which is going to relate to all these things okay but the other one is i think this is a little bit more obvious okay is that when you have like intestinal permeability or some sort of damage to the the gastrointestinal lining well you know Microbiome metabolites. So what we're talking about here is like particular byproducts. And one of those could be like LPS, acetaldehyde, ethanol, all these types of things. Okay. Well, they have an easier escape route into the bloodstream. And then if we're getting high amounts of these bacterial byproducts within the bloodstream, okay, well, this can interact with the skin. There's no doubt about that. Because also what you're essentially raising is you're raising like antigen response, antibody response, immune response. You get higher amounts of cell activation. You get higher amount of mediator response. When you get a higher amount of mediator response, a mediator is histamine, okay? And that can create like skin reactions as well, okay? But mm. more what we're talking about in relation to acne is that your body's got to clear a lot of these byproducts. And what did I say right at the start? The skin is a detoxifier. And if it can't clear it via urine feces, then it's going to try to push it through the skin. And that could definitely lead to issues around acne as well. But all these, all these issues, especially like, you know, if you've got uh, negative gram bacteria overgrowth, you know, SIBO, you're definitely going to have problems with fat-soluble vitamins. So you're going to have problems with vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin E, vitamin K. I would say out of all those fat-soluble vitamins, the one that's going to be a real problem for everything that we're talking about here is vitamin A. Mm. Okay. And, and we've talked about this before. And, you know, John Berardi, Precision Nutrition, people don't, for people who don't, are not aware of John Berardi, okay, but he's basically said that, what was it? Eighty-six um, percent of people have a vitamin A deficiency, which flies in the face of a lot of time what they're saying around vitamin A, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, okay, because a lot of the time they say, "Oh, you got to be careful with vitamin A toxicity." I go, "Well, eighty-six percent. I mean, like this is the last thing that we've got to be really worried about here." And when you've got like a vitamin A deficiency, that can also relate to skin issues, and you can actually get things like chicken skin on the back of the arms. And, you know, I, I know you've talked to me about this before, but you could potentially use like topical vitamin A to actually help to treat potentially things like chicken skin and maybe eczema. And um, it's not something that I've used because what I would say is, well, you know, fix the gut lining, mm. fix the actual bacterial issue. And then that will obviously help with the skin issue. But yeah. I know something that it's, you know, that you've spoken to me about and, and I yeah. think you've even explored as well. Yeah. I mean, I've even heard a functional dermatologist using incredibly high doses of oral vitamin A supplementation. And I'm talking like incredibly high. I'm not going to say over the podcast how high, but very, very high and very effectively as well. And there's there's a couple of studies that back that up. They're pretty old studies now, but I've seen at least, I think, two studies where that was supported. But yeah, I do know a lot of people who do swear by, by very high vitamin A um, supplementation. But like you said, it's, it is still a bit of a Band-Aid. You know, it's not addressing why there's that increased vitamin A need. I want to talk about sebum day. So, so what is it? Do we want to go into maybe what some of the mechanisms are that, that it's causing the acne or, or how different like things? Like sebum in terms yeah. of like, yeah. So, I mean, sort of get that build up around the hair follicles and, 
this is all the, the relationship that's going on here is is really like people need to understand when you do actually have gastrointestinal issues and especially when you've got damage to the epithelium the number one macronutrient you actually struggle to metabolize and break down is fats mm. okay, which i think people- we should clarify that because a lot of the time people will be aware that carbs are going to exacerbate the symptoms more but that doesn't like what you're saying is actually fats are the ones that are harder for you to digest and and utilize and absorb if you've got these issues even though it's going to be the fermentable carbohydrates that might you know cause the bloating or exacerbate the bloating and stuff like that yeah and, and we we would have the tendency and, and not and not all instances and we we might use a whole array of different nutritional outlines whether that's like pseudo carnivore or carnivore or high fat outline or what, whatever that might be okay but a lot of the time we could use a high fat outline and i want to make it clear there's a big difference between a high fat outline and ketogenic mm. Okay, ketogenic is about 85% of your breakdown yeah. coming from fats. Okay, now when you've got severe damage to the gut lining, the worst thing you can do is go ketogenic. Okay, because you're struggling with mycelizing factors, bile, bile salts. Okay, you're not going to break down mm. very well that high amount of fats. And you're going to have like really sloppy stool, really smelly mm. oil mm. slicks in your stool. Okay. Um, and there's going to be a lot of undigested things like phospholipids and triglycerides and fat globules and yeah. uh, cholesterol within your stool. Okay. So, so there's a relationship here, and a lot of time this can lead to some issues around like lipids, yeah, okay, and you get these sort of like fatty buildups around the hair follicles, okay, and that can actually lead to issues around the sebum where there's like you know pus and inflammation around that, okay. Mm-hmm. So I would say to answer your question, there could be a huge link here with like just damage to the epithelium, yeah, okay, mm-hmm. and, and that would relate to things like severe intestinal permeability and hyperpermeability yeah. and all the different types of damage. That can occur in the intracellular tight junctions to the tight junction proteins and to the actual epithelium. And like, you know, if you damage the villi, you get villi atrophy. And you, you know, celiac disease would be a great example of that. Cryptoplasia, okay. You're like, you're gonna you, you're gonna have issues with the lacteal, which basically means that that's a an area of the actual villi, which basically means you're gonna really struggle with fat metabolization, mm-hmm. okay. And and also that's gonna create massive issues around chyle and lymph and the lymphatic system and even like your white blood cells. Okay. So mm. I mean, it's interesting the question. But- well, yes and no. And I think what's interesting is a lot of the time when you hear people talk about acne, they talk about it from a perspective of like, oh, you know, I've got excess sebum production and that's just what my skin's like. You know, a lot of the time we just resign to, well, that's just where I am. You know, I was just born that way, whatever. And yes, obviously people are going to be predisposed to different you know, likelihood of, of different issues or whatever, but that doesn't mean that there's not a mechanism there, does it? And I want to actually just read out a little snippet, Dave, from this study done in 2011, and it's called- This has got to be a first, like reading out a snippet. Reading out like a it. snippet. Like yeah. <laughs> Came prepared today. That's what happens when we've got spare time. So it's called acne vulgaris, probiotics, and the gut, grain, skin axis, okay? And yeah. there's this little, little snippet in, in the middle of the study, and it says- um, basically, it says psychological distress alone on combination with high fat diet is what you were talking about. Processed comfort foods cause alterations to gut motility and microbiota profile. And it goes on to say that loss of normal microbial, so it talks about bifidobacterium in particular, causes intestinal permeability and endotoxins. So that'll be things like LPS that you were talking about. They gain systemic access. Burden of inflammation and oxidative stresses increase. Substance P is elevated. Insulin sensitivity goes down due to the endotoxemia, so due to the LPS. And then it goes on to say, in those genetically susceptible to acne vulgaris, this cascade 
increases the likelihood of excess sebum production. So this is saying that what you said with the high fat, with low levels of good bacteria, high levels of pathogenic bacteria, and then this excess production of, of endotoxins, LPS in the system, that stew, that melting pot, can exacerbate excess sebum production. And then someone who's susceptible to that ends up with acne. I'm so glad you read out that research because, you know, like all the things that I was talking about, that melting pot that yeah. you're just referring to, okay, that's the more common scenario for people. Yeah. I mean, I, I was breaking it down individually, okay, <laughs> where I was talking about LPS, negative gram bacteria, you not having enough beneficial flora, potentially like having intestinal permeability. But the reality of the matter is most people would have all that going on. Yeah. It's going to be very rare that they just go, oh, I just not, I don't have enough beneficial flora or I've only got intestinal permeability. I mean, yep. that's a rarity. Yeah. Okay. So I think that's, yeah, it's a great example. So before we move on to the next issue or next condition, what's sort of a take home here? So you're saying the take home is consider the likelihood of, ne- of probably negative gram bacteria or some bacterial overgrowth, um, which would also mean the likelihood of SIBO and would also mean the likelihood of, of intestinal permeability or gut inflammation or leaky gut or whatever language you want to use around it. Now, that's not necessarily like, what do you do with that? Like, you know, that's gonna, that's giving you guys homework to go and work out what you do with that. But it's yeah. telling I mean, you- that- I will, look, look, one thing I could say on that, I mean, it's it's hard because we, we would basically say, well, you, you've got to fix the gut lining. Yeah. You've got to- you got to rectify the the negative gram bacteria, the, the LPS issues. I mean, we're not going to be able to. I mean, it's a podcast for another time. Yeah, okay, but you know, interesting. Okay, like you know, Bacillus subtilis. Okay, so for people who don't know, like Bacillus spores, I'm talking about here. Okay, and Bacillus strains are really good for the innate immune system. They're really good for catecholamines, like actually helping with epinephrine, norepinephrine, dopamine metabolization, you know, vitamin C. So all these amazing things, but actually showed that Bacillus subtilis actually produces like toxic compounds to things like yeast and candida. Mm. Okay. Now we actually use this microbiome labs actually make a, a product called Megaspore Biotic. I'm not doing a plug here. Okay? I think but, they've actually, they're changing the formulation is my understanding. Okay. All right. Well, there's others, <laughs> you know, there's other, there's other brands out there that do yeah. Bacillus strains. I'm talking really about the Bacillus subtilis. Okay. Yeah. So, there's, there's certain bacteria strains that can actually be really beneficial okay, mm-hmm. around, and I think they actually might use the particular compound, I can't remember the direct name, okay, in certain antibiotics okay, to actually help with these types of issues. So they're actually taking that, that compound from the bacteria and utilizing that in certain antibiotics and medications. Okay? Well, mm-hmm. we could just actually take the Bacillus subtilis to actually help with that. Okay? So uh, I just want to make it clear that there's, like, it's, the answer is generally not going to be to take, you know, lactobacillus or, or like bifidobacterium or some 150 billion strain like probiotic, okay, where, you know, something like bacillus strains, which are really good around MRSA, a lot that's linked to a lot of skin issues, okay? H. pylori, okay, well, we've, we've talked about these things, Escherichia coli, Clostridium difficile, okay? It's really good in terms of combating all those pathogenic strains of bacteria, okay? So, you know, sometimes I would just say something that's a lot more safeguard, Bacillus spores, Bacillus subtilis, okay, very multifaceted and it's just hard to get it wrong. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we've talked about vitamin A. So cod liver oil is a good option there. Anti-inflammatory as well has some vitamin A in it. Um, I also really like bergreen. Bergreen has been found to help on like a stack of different levels when it comes to acne. Uh, It can actually help reduce sebum, excess sebum production. It helps with insulin 
sensitivity. And, and then it's got actual benefits to the gut lining as well, yep. you know, like mitigating yep. like pro-inflammatory cytokines, actually damaging the intracellular tight junction, so helping with aspects around the cytokine storm and yeah. all that type of stuff. So yeah. And there is an antimicrobial benefit. as well. Yeah. Well, Which- even like... LDL particles, yeah, okay, mm. like you know, raising LDL cholesterol. People need to understand when you do have negative gram bacteria, high amounts of LPS. I mean, your liver is going to pump out more LDL particles, more LDL, because the LDL particles, the LDL actually bind to the LPS, the lipopolysaccharides, to mm. negate the toxic effects of the endotoxin. Okay, yeah. so um, so there's benefits, you know, with something like berberine around that as well. And the last one I want to mention there as well is NAC. There's a lot of good studies supporting NAC's use with acne. Um, you said right at the start, skin is a detox organ. And so NAC, antioxidant, promotes detoxification. It helps with glutathione. If there's high amounts of LPS, that's going to deplete glutathione. So if you even like blood sugar levels of regulation, NAC can help with that. Gut lining, heaps of different mechanisms for NAC to help I, as well. I, I, would, I would say for a lot of skin issues, I don't know how much we would dive into this, but I'm sure you would agree with me, but... You know, even things like bromelain, biofilm agents, mm. okay, so, you know, protolytic, uh, yeah. Enzo- yeah, protolytic enzymes, any of those types of things. And th- that could include things like natoquinase and seroquinase and, you know, th- these types of ones. They're going to have huge benefits. Like, if, uh, isn't there some documentation of these things even potentially helping with cellulite as well? Yeah, okay. Mm. So they can be pretty overlooked okay, when it comes to a lot of these skin-related issues as well, like just using like good enzymes and biofilm agents and so forth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we better move on, Dave. What's the next one you want to talk about? Okay, so we're sort of trying to group them, guys, because there there is a lot, okay? So maybe maybe the next group we'll sort of focus on is maybe that are a little bit more linked to direct bacterial issues, okay? Mm -hmm. And even like fungi, like candida and yeast. So, you know, you get these things, they're called carbuncles okay now in more layman's terms they're just like boils and so they're like really pussy a lot of time they can just have a lot of fluid in there now when you get more like carbuncles that can actually be linked to staphylococcus aureus if you want to look up like mrsa it's it's methyl uh, resistant staphylococcus aureus okay but basically it's multi-drug resistant staphylococcus aureus okay like when we're t- we, I mean, obviously, I've been pretty obsessed with antibiotic resistance and antibiotic resistant bacterial infections. I think I've got you onto this as well, okay? <laughs> but it's pretty intriguing when you read it, yeah, okay? And like, you know, I would say one of the top of the pile mm. antibiotic resistant bacterial strains is Staphylococcus aureus, okay? Yeah. And it's definitely linked to it. You getting like these boils, yeah, okay? And these pus-filled like skin ar- uh, irritations yeah. and so forth. And even uh, uh, cellulitis, okay? And cellulitis is actually where... The skin is like really like inflamed, okay? Like you get really blotchy, like red air, red areas, okay? And a lot of the time they're almost hot, like they're hot and they feel hot to touch and so forth. Um, and that is also linked to Staphylococcus aureus as well. And even uh, Streptococcus, so I'm talking about pathogenic strains of Streptococcus here, okay? So this has a huge link with SIBO, okay? So Staphyl- Staphylococcus aureus can actually make up, and a lot of the time it does make up SIBO. Mm. Okay. And that actually can make up, you know, SIBO because obviously you can get it in different areas within the small intestine. I mean, you can argue you can even get SIBO within the colon as well. Okay. The top section of the large intestine. And guess what? You can have it in all areas. You can have it in the duodenum, you can have it in the jejunum, you can have it in the ileum, and okay, you can have it in the colon. Okay. But mm. Staphylococcus aureus has been a little bit more linked to like the uh, duodenum, so the top section of the small intestine, but even like the lower section, like the ileum as well. Okay. So there's a link here with, with SIBO. So if you are getting those those types of skin irritations, yes, 
the link to Staphylococcus aureus, but is there like, is your bigger problem here, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and basically many you've got gut motility issues, issues around the migrating motor complex. I mean, you know, obviously we want to fix the SIBO. Okay. But if you're looking at like maybe your more safeguard remedies, you don't really know what you're doing. Okay. You know, and I think we have spoken about this more recently, like I brought it up, like monolurin. I actually mm-hmm. have really liked the research around that. Well, monolurin is, and, and potentially you could use like things like MCT oil, coconut oil, you know, one that's got C8, C10, C12. But this is just like luric acid bound to like glycerol. But I really like the research where they've actually shown that it's really good against Staphylococcus aureus. I mean, that mm-hmm. actually means it's super powerful. Okay? Mm-hmm. And also it can't build up a resistance to it. Mm. That's even even more significant, and actually, it's antifungal, so it's really good against candida. Okay, and antiviral. I mean, I think they actually showed that it inactivated something like the measles virus. Yeah, okay, mm. I'm not saying it's a remedy for the measles. I want to make that clear, but I'm just saying that monolurin could be reasonably safeguard in this instance. Okay, and you are going to get a lot of other benefits uh, because what I would say is, if we're talking about other bacteria that definitely you know, it's going to start to show up on your skin. It would be like candida and yeast, okay, mm. because you've got a lot of candida and yeast on your skin anyway, mm. and that does tend to be a little bit more prevalent where you've got high amounts of lymph nodes, okay, because people need to understand the role of the lymphatic system is to clear waste in and out of the cells, okay, but it's to clear things like uh, bacterial byproducts and debris, um, and if there's a lot of that, so, you know, high amounts of lymph nodes under the armpits, around the neck, and also, in you know, thigh. Maybe in bet- yeah, in a thigh, in between the legs. I don't know, like maybe a little bit like through the intercostal muscles and down the side. But also yeast does tend to be in areas where it's, you know, it, the skin's a lot more oily. It's the back of the neck, okay? And it does get a little bit more oily, like, you know, under the armpits, down the down the uh, intercostal muscles and around the superiliac crest, yeah, okay, and the inside of the legs, okay? So if you've got like yeast and candida and things like CIFO, and it just wants to push these bacterial byproducts. And a lot of time when it's struggling to do that, you can even get like cysts and like build up under the armpit and so forth. Or you, know, you really can get bad. these like like solid sort of, like you can feel it in a lymph node, can't you? You can push in, you can feel this yeah, sort of yeah, like yeah. hard build They're just up. getting a build up of these byproducts and so yeah. forth. Yeah, okay. And the only reason I wanted to bring that up because like monolurin is really good against yeast and candida. Mm, yeah, mm. okay. Um, and we could say things like colloidal silver. You can use colloidal silver. Well, I wanted to mention well. silver because so staphylococcus, that's got a pretty significant biofilm, especially like with the skin, isn't it? Isn't that a, a big issue for it? And well, so- I mean, you, we would just say that biofilm, I mean, you know, for, for all the listeners, we're just going to say that biofilm is just a problem in general, mm. okay? Like, mm. And it's pretty much like once upon a time, like commensal bacteria, which sort of means stuff that's bubbling way underneath the surface that really hasn't been linked to a lot of serious diseases or ailments, okay? But even commensal bacteria has extremely robust biofilm now, mm. Mm. okay? Like candida and yeast, I mean, pretty much every, you know, 150 different candida and yeast strain has a pretty robust biofilm. So this, the colloidal silver, that's got antibiofilm properties, but it, uh, I, I've definitely seen some research, especially in the context of staphylococcus. And then you've got the monolaurin or, or cuprylic acid and like the MCT combination. That's obviously got biofilm properties as well. So that could be, even topically, that could be really beneficial, right? Like you could mix a little bit of colloidal silver with a little bit of, of coconut oil um, and you could actually apply that to trouble areas. Yeah, so definitely on those areas, I mean, coconut oil, you can definitely apply it to those areas that I'm talking about. Colloidal silver, I'm, I mean, a lot of people need to understand. I mean, 
I know Colloidal Silver can get a bit of a little little bit of a bad rap, mm. maybe not a little bit, like a lot, but a lot of the time, I mean, they've been using it for a long period of time, mm. okay? And, they, and initially they did use it topically, okay, to actually help with like a lot of skin infections and skin yeah. irritations and so forth. So it's not like they haven't been using it. And, it's and, one and of from- the main things I use topically, like when I've got clients who've got skin issues, Colloidal Silver, coconut oil, tea tree oil, um, niacinamide, like I, I'm normally using one of those ones. And I've had clients where they've had, rashes basically all over their body where they've gone to multiple dermatologists, nothing has worked. They've used antibiotics, they've used everything. All they use is colloidal silver and it's completely eliminated. And the good thing is it's not wiping out your beneficial flora. Okay, mm. So it's not wiping out things like lactobacillus and bifidobacterium. We've talked about that. I mean, you know, I think it isn't like postbiotics. Okay. They're sort of becoming like a bit of a thing, you know, like uh, biotic skincare and yeah. That might help with, you know, short-chain fatty acids and antimicrobial peptides. I mean, I'm sort of interested in that. I, I, I personally haven't used it with clients. Okay? I'm definitely not against it. So even these things could pose like a better solution. You know, tea tree oil has actually been used in, in some ends. I, I, I tend to find that it sort of really dries out the skin quite a fair bit. Okay, There's um, a plantation do a good tea tree oil in a moisturizer. That works okay. quite well. Yeah. Okay, and I'd even say you know like uh, like aloe vera's got some pretty amazing benefits, and obviously you can use that topically. I mean, mm. okay, obviously you can have oral tablets as well. Okay, uh, huge benefits to the you know any splitting. Okay, like within the actual epithelium, the mucosal cells itself. Okay, so look, I, I definitely think there's uh, you know things out there that are a lot better that you can actually use topically. Mm. Mm. So where were we? What were we talking about? Which condition? So we were just we were just talking about things like cellulitis, obviously like carbuncles, okay. Yeah. And then we talked about obviously when people are getting these skin related issues around yeah. where the the skin is a little bit more oily, okay. How that's relates relates to like candida and yeast, okay. So these can be another sort of like group. Of, really, you know, you you put things even like athletes foot a little bit into that category as well. Like it's yeah, be yeah, like it's, yeah, look, I definitely forgot to to mention that. But, you know, if people do have athlete's foot and even like fungal toe infections, yeah. I mean, this is obviously skin-related, okay, you know, heavily linked to like CFO, small intestinal yeah. fungal overgrowth, okay. I mean, once again, we're not going to talk about like how you would directly treat CFO, okay. But obviously, you know, certain types of antimicrobials that are good for CFO, like, you know, grapefruit seed extract. Once again, caprylic acid is really good around mm. that. Uh, colloidal silver, you know, some of those things we've already mentioned. And if you didn't want to have caprylic acid from things like coconut oil and so forth. I mean, you can actually take it as an oral tablet as well, but, mm. you know, quite rightly, I'm sure, you know, Jake will point out that actually the concentration of the caprylic acid that you get from things like MCT oil is actually extremely high. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And if you can get in a food source, you know, why, why take another tablet? Uh, I would say. Yeah. Um, yeah. What about psoriasis? Should we go there? Yeah. Well, we can probably group a few in this category as well. Okay. And so I guess this group, so psoriasis, like eczema, put it in there as well, and dermatitis uh, being another one, yeah. okay, because all these ones have a have a huge link to to damage to the the small intestine, da- like, and we're talking about things like hyperpermeability, yeah. uh, severe intestinal permeability, so like basically damage to the the intracellular tight junctions, the tight junction proteins. I mean, if we look at like psoriasis. There's actually definitely a link there with psoriasis with the, like a, a huge raise in pro-inflammatory cytokines. So there's a, like a huge raise in inflammation. Okay. Yep. Now, what 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 people need to understand is that when we when we have a high amount of antigen response, antibody response, and I've talked about this, you know, many times. Okay, the highest amount of antigen response, antibody response, immune response takes place within the epithelium in the lungs, 
and obviously within the gut lining. And, and we're constantly like breathing particles in, allergens. We're obviously eating food. Once again, that's an identification process. We've got to go, what's this bacteria? What's this pathogen? Okay, what's this molecule? And, and that creates like a trigger mechanism response. And, you know, there's many trigger mechanisms in this instance, but it's going to raise things like antibodies and immunoglobulins. That's also going to create cell activation. And, and what I mean here is an increase in things like white blood cells. Okay. And mm-hmm. then you create a mediator response. And that would be things like cytokines. They're mediators, okay, interleukins, prostaglandins, okay, and histamine, that's a mediator. Uh, and then when you produce more things like histamine, the histamine plays on the histamine receptors around the body. I mean, you've got histamine receptors in your brain. You've got them on your skin, okay? There's a high amount of histamine receptors on your skin. Mm. Um, you've got them obviously within the lungs and the gastrointestinal tract, so they're throughout the body. And in this instance, you know, got H1 receptors, H2, H3, H4. They play on the H1 receptors and there's benefits there because it actually helps with things like the sleep-wake cycle and yeah. so forth. But then it also creates reactions like maybe food sensitivities, food intolerances, maybe respiratory, bronchitis, uh, shortness of breath, asthma, these types of uh, issues. Now, also, it's going to create skin issues and that can be hives, it can be rashes, heat rashes, and it also can be things like eczema, psoriasis. So this raise in the, the mediator response, whether that's cytokines and interleukins and histamine, that will create the, the skin reaction. And a lot of people with psoriasis, just so you can understand what it is, it's, it's like scaly skin. And, and most of the time it's going to accompany joint pain, stiffness, like almost like these arthritic type yeah. uh, scenarios. Once again, a lot of pro-inflammatory activity taking place. And if it's more like eczema, uh, once again, they, they, they say it's more like uh, the, the skin barriers, like cracking and breaking up. And you can even, if you've got that sort of chicken skin a lot of time, that can be pretty dry. You might itch it and it sort of starts to bleed pretty easily. So it's sort of like quite fragile. And that definitely has a, a link to damage to the small intestine, damage to the, the certain types of epithelium in the small intestine. Okay, And then that basically means just because that reaction that I talked about, that it starts to interact with the skin and it starts to show up in the skin. And even like, you know, dermatitis, where it's more itchy and blistering, okay? a lot of the time mm. it can actually be on your bum. Uh, if you're getting those sort of like blistery type things that are popping up on your bum, okay, like um, that could actually be a sign that you've got some, some damage to the gut lining. You've actually got, you know, some hyperpermeability or intestinal permeability taking place, yeah, okay? Mm. And I would say, you know, the best things you can do around that is things that are going to really help with the hyperpermeability, okay? And, I mean, I'll, I'll probably have to chuck quercetin in the mix here, okay? Mm. Because it really helps to bring down the, the, the pro-inflammatory proteins. I mean, it interferes with NF-kappa-B. Mm. I mean, it inhibits interleukin-1. It suppresses we've, we've done a podcast on quercetin, haven't we? Yeah. 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 So I mean, like, so, so guys go across and listen to that. You know, things that we talk about, okay, trust me, we're going to cover as many topics as we humanly can, okay? That's the goal here. So... And, and, and like always, we really thank everyone for their support. Yeah, okay. So, you know, quercetin, even like Boswellia can be really good mm. around this. And it's actually really good. It actually inhibits H, uh, HLE, human leukocyte elastase. That's respiratory distress. Okay. It's really good to mitigate basophil activity. So high amounts of histamine activity mm. and so forth. But, you know, Boswellia can be one of those ones that where initially it might exacerbate the histamine reaction and people like freak out. Okay. So I just want people to know that maybe sometimes maybe the skin rash and so forth can be a little bit in heightened initially. Mm. Okay. But trust me, that will nullify it. And, you know, we would say anything that actually helps with the actual structure of the gut lining. So yeah. whether that's things like butyric acid, vitamin A, vitamin D, okay. Um, you know, 
uh, goat's colostrum, like, you know, something like BPC-157. I mean, like, really, you really want to tackle the actual tight junction proteins themselves, the intracellular tight junctions, the epithelium. This is a bit unconventional. I wouldn't normally recommend it. And it's not something I usually do with clients, but I have had people where they've had some of these skin flares and I've used things like a binder, like I've used activated charcoal post-meal and it's actually reduced or almost eliminated completely the, the skin flare. And ultimately, it's like what you're saying, like there's these endotoxins being produced there. Someone's got a permeable gut. They're entering into the bloodstream, translocating, causing this inflammatory state. And so in that instance, for me, it was more than anything a test. It was confirming that's what was going on because by using these binders post-mill, they're mopping up and sucking up these endotoxins and then that's that's had this positive effect. So ultimately, the answer there is not just to keep using binders, but it's to actually, actually repair that permeability. So everything you've talked about there. Um, and there's, there's studies that back that up as well. Like I saw this one study, I think it was in kids with eczema. I don't know if you've seen this one or not. Um, and they, they, it was a permeability study. I think they used, they used uh, disaccharide molecules and they found that kids who had eczema, they were um, like these disaccharides were entering the bloodstream faster in higher amounts than in, in the control group. So basically just suggesting that the gut lining was permeable. And yeah, that's why, you know, I've seen a huge success using things like BPC-157 um, quite quickly as well in people with, with psoriasis and eczema. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I, I would just say that you just got to you've got to go right to the source of where the problem exists in mm. that instance. Yeah, okay, and uh, I mean, obviously, there's a there's a particular structure that I would instruct people to to utilize to to really fix. You know, it's not a case of just like everything we say. We're just going to you know chuck in Boswellia and quercetin and BPC one five seven and goat's colostrum. Okay, like mm. it's not how myself and Jake structure things. Yeah, okay, there's you know there's generally a stage by stage process. But yeah, maybe if it is just like, you know, you want something that's a little bit more bang for your buck, whether it's just something like a BPC-157 with a quercetin, that's definitely going to help with uh, the hyperpermeability, okay, and help mm. to stem the flow. And then maybe you just want to support, you know, because when you do actually have hyperpermeability and there's a raise of histamine and so, and the histamine itself creates more hyperpermeability, that's it, that's yeah. the irony, okay, um, that you probably need because histamine actually does deplete certain micronutrients like magnesium. So you want to be looking after magnesium. You actually deplete even things like L-carnitine. If that's whether you want to use something like acetyl-L-carnitine or L-carnitine itself, okay? Or, you know, it can create some issues around coenzyme Q10. I probably wouldn't supplement with that, but you could get it out of things like beef heart, lamb heart. I know that's not going to be everyone's mm -hmm. cup of tea, but you, you can take that in supplemental form. And taurine also gets depleted as well. So maybe like in this instance, a magnesium taurate is going to be a better selection when it comes to the type of magnesium that you're going to use. Mm. Do we want to say anything else about those or do we want to move on to rosacea? Uh, look, yeah, look, like we'll probably keep on going with that, but maybe we move on to the, I mean, I think we've got two more that we want to cover. Okay. So maybe we move on to the next one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess just to summarize that, the key thing we're talking about there is permeability, right? We want to reduce the inflammatory response, reduce histamine, and then repair the gut integrity. And that's, I mean, that's as simple as it is, really. Mm. Is any topicals you use in, in that instance? I What do I use? Again, I use tea tree oil sometimes. Um, like the tea tree in, in a moisturizer can work quite well. Look, look, there does tend to be a lot of rawness to that. Like it tends to be 
you know, really red and aggravated. I do mm. find the calendula cream can be really good for when the skin is very agitated, mm-hmm. you know, that red rawness. I would say even the skin starts to split and so forth. It just, I would just say, I'm not saying it, it, it fixes the problem, but yeah, yeah. it can be really good to soothe it. That's, that's yeah. just from my experience, okay? But that's only initially just to try to mitigate it and, yeah. and get that particular area feeling better. I do yeah. quite like calendula for, for that. Which is pretty pretty easy to get, like calendula cream. So next one, what, which one did you say we're going to cover? Rosacea. Okay, acne rosacea. Okay, yep. so now for people who don't know what that is, it's almost like this sort of red type rash around the the nose region. I mean, don't they say mm. sometimes even people can get like swelling of the nose? Yeah. So so- if you you should Google some photos, geez, if you're listening to this, pause yeah. and Google photos. Man, it's can be pretty hectic. It, it can get pretty severe. Okay. And I would say that there's a huge link here with like micronutrient deficiencies, especially like, you know, vitamin A. And as I said, like mm. vitamin A is actually required to actually helps with, helps the skin health rejuvenation and vitamin E. Okay. And I think everyone has probably heard that vitamin E is obviously really good for the skin. Okay. And this has a bit of a link to H. pylori. And they actually found that I think it was 50% of people with H. pylori. Okay. Obviously in, in the group that they tested, it actually had this particular skin disorder. Mm. And you got to understand, like, obviously, there's a lot of micronutrient deficiencies when you've got H. pylori, but you do tend to have issues around vitamin A and also vitamin E, okay? And, and, and vitamin E is one of the key sort of micronutrients that we actually need for hydrochloric acid or stomach acid. So there's actually mm. a link here with just, like, low stomach acid as well, yeah. okay? Yeah. So if you do have an issue around even things like, you know, zinc, B1, chloride, bicarbonate, and vitamin E, okay, well, then you could also be a little bit more prone to, to getting this type of skin issue. And even SIBO, okay, and also remember there's a, almost a bit of a relationship between SIBO and H. pylori anyway because SIBO yeah. can create H. pylori and H. pylori can create SIBO. And most of the time people are stuck in that loop and they just close it off. You know, they, they don't really close it off in terms of they treat the H. pylori, don't treat the SIBO, yeah. and then just get H. pylori again, okay? Yeah. Just on that and, stomach and, acid one, Dave, there was a study, it was an old one now, I think it was done in like the 50s or something, but – on rosacea and, and stomach acid, and it found it was almost one in two people with rosacea had low stomach acid, almost fifty percent. And I forget what the control was; it was much less than that. But that's and obviously that sort of go, goes in line with what they were finding with like H. pylori, because yeah, obviously actually, you know, people with stomach acid issues are going to be more prone to these pathogens like Helicobacter overgrowth and Clostridium difficile and these these issues. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. And the other one that was interesting is they they did find this link with even like SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So they found that if you had this particular skin issue, that you were 10 times more likely to have SIBO. Once again, these are pretty significant sort of like statistics. Yeah. Okay. And what what we're going to say, I mean, of course, there's just simple things that you could do, whether it's like maybe from a nutritional standpoint, you go on a suit, I would call a pseudo low FODMAP. Okay. I'm not going to explain that now. Okay. I don't know if you would necessarily go like too strict low low FODMAP either. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's what we mean by pseudo in terms of not going like too strict, but you're definitely going to get rid of like, you know, fruit oligosaccharides and like polyols. I'm not saying they're the devil, but you, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're probably going to just at least give the person some sort of relief, okay? You might use like bacillus strains and they're really good around like H. pylori yeah. and SIBO, okay? So it comes down to what I talked about, bacillus subtilis, bacillus coagulans, okay? Megaspore biotic. 
I mean, is there anything that you like, maybe maybe that's also uh, going to come down to you know maybe more of the safeguards sort of like antimicrobials. Whether that's going to be even something like Allison. I'm not saying Allison is like has direct benefits to the skin, okay? But Allison is it can be good around H. pylori. It is good around SIBO. It also does actually help with lowering of uh, an elevation in fasting triglycerides and LDL particles mm. and so forth. Mm. You know. Definitely like using some like a modified citrus pectin and some sort of biofilm agent. So whether that's like an NAC, you know, a, a direct biofilm agent, uh, uh, natto okay, or serokinase, all these types of things, mm. okay, lumbrokinase, well, using some sort of, you know, uh, biofilm agent just to start to get the wheels in motion and start to mm. break down this biofilm and start to have like a positive impact on the SIBO and the H. pylori. Yeah, and again, you know, I think the mistake sometimes people make is they – they try to treat the condition, you know, they're like, okay, well, I've got rosacea, therefore I do this. And it's like, well, no, ideally what you do is you say you've got rosacea. Is it more likely you've got SIBO? Is it more likely you've got H. pylori? Is it something else? And then that's what you go after, you know? So rather than saying, well, this is rosacea sort of protocol or whatever, it's like, well, which one's the most like, like this is a clue for you. It's telling you if 10 times more people have SIBO when they've got rosacea and, you know, they're 50% of like, you know, is it H. pylori? It could be either. So let's use that as a clue to work out which one it is. Um, this obviously is safeguard stuff. Like you mentioned, you know, I also, I would normally use HCL, you know, because it is obviously such a big link with low stomach acid. So that's whether that's HCL or apple cider vinegar, which even has some, you know, potential antibiofilm properties. Uh, and then, you know, there's basics. Swedish, like, Swedish bitters. Yeah, I've seen that as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, limiting sun exposure potentially, you know, we know that that's going to be an exacerbator. Is that going to be a fix? No, but, you know, we want to, we do want to help release symptoms initially. And then topically, like I know, again, it's not going to be a fix, but I do use azelaic acid and that's very, very effective for rosacea, which is basically it's working off like skin turnover and just increasing the, the turnover speed. But, you know, obviously we want to kind of balance both. We want to address what's going on and causing it. And ultimately, like I would say that if we're addressing what's causing it, it's not the quickest way to fix the symptoms, right? It's a long-term solution, but how long does it take for the internal to start to affect the external? It's going to, it's going to take a little while. So if we then use something externally as well, it's going to speed it up. It's going to manage those symptoms while you're rebalancing the internal. Yeah, for sure. I mean, something uh, that, that I just picked up on that you said there, I mean, I've actually seen it in some like documentation when they say that if, you, if you've got like these imbalances that we're talking about and obviously you've got the issues go, going on in the gut and that's actually coinciding with the issues you've got in the skin. Well, there's certain strains. I mean, they think it's called Staphylococcus uh, epidemidae or something like that. Don't fully quote me on that. Okay, But they've actually shown that that actually can help with your ability to... Uh, interact with like uv light okay so mm. actually like helping to protect what i'm saying here is it actually can help to protect the skin mm. okay so if you're compromising the, the the microbiome within the skin okay well you could even affect potentially your ability ability to deal with like uv rays and so forth okay which i find pretty interesting i mean there's there's a fair bit of stuff now with different amiga, like omega sixes affecting sort of skin response uh, skin and sun response as well isn't that like, haven't really that? That. well, uh, I'm not sure what the mechanism is here, so I don't want to go into it too much, but I know that a lot of people, when they do start to limit omega-6s or seed oils, they do start to report that their UV sensitivity goes up. Like, they're actually able to, you know, they don't get burned as easy. They're, like, resilience in the sun is a lot well, higher. It, yeah, like, that's interesting you say that because if I, if I had to look at, you know, like, some nutrients, and obviously it'd be a lot more than this, okay, but nutrients are just good for the skin, okay, 
um, you know, niacin, vitamin B3, mm. like zinc. It helps with elasticity with like connective tissue. So it's really important for skin. You know, sulfur, that's a sort of a yellow sticky substance. Okay. That's a, it's a mineral. And actually omega-3s actually really good for mm. that as well. Yeah, okay. And actually vitamin A and vitamin E, but we sort of already talked about those. Okay. Mm. So it's interesting you say that because I, I would say that because omega-3s actually are really good for the skin health and that, that doesn't surprise me that there would be a bit of a connection there. Mm-hmm. Was that the last one we wanted to talk about? Was there one I, think, I think, did you just want to just talk about like cellulite? I mean, I know that's, oh, yeah. you know, that, that is a, a problem that obviously it's a lot more prevalent in females. Okay, I'm not being sexist here. I'm just stating, you know, that it is a lot more mm-hmm. prevalent in females. But I mean, with cellulite, you're actually getting like a buildup of like fat globules under the skin and it sort of causes it to be like, you know, bumpy and rough and all that type mm-hmm. of stuff. And I would say like a leading contributor to that is just like, because once again, it just comes back to what I said right at the start, okay? Like we're dealing with type 1 collagen connective tissue, okay? Yeah. Like if, so if I've got issues with the connective tissue and the type 1 collagen in my gut line, okay, you're going to have issues with the actual skin itself as well, okay? It's yeah. just inevitable. That's why I would say, you know, using collagen, okay? Yeah. Uh, using things like gelatin, obviously that goes through a certain heating process. We would obviously say that probably like collagen peptides are going to be a little bit better here because they use a steaming process that denatures the proteins, that unravels them, okay, and actually makes them more bioavailable, especially things like the hydroxyproline, proline, glycine, which obviously we need for that connective tissue, okay? And just like poor blood flow. I mean, if you're sedentary, you're not moving, well, you're not helping with things like nitric oxide. If you're not, and if you're not getting that blood flow, okay, a lot, that's why actually I think they have linked, you know, cellulite to issues around like catecholamines. So mm. issues around like things like epinephrine, norepinephrine, uh, like adrenaline resistance, uh, low norepinephrine levels. Because, you know, once again, if you've got poor blood flow, okay, it's even yeah. hard for you to you know, get things like epinephrine and norepinephrine to the adipocytes or the adipose cells, the fat cells, okay? You just don't have good blood flow. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, I would say even bacterial byproducts contribute to that as well. You know, so I would say help the gut, fix the gut, and you actually help with things like cellulite and so forth. I mean, you want, you want things that, you know, a little bit more bang for your buck, like directly, okay? I would say like bromelain, you know, some of these enzymes that we were talking about, protolytic enzymes, and yeah. um, even just using collagen peptides. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think collagen's a, a must. And got a cola, I tend to find it's a bit slow, yeah. but like got a cola, it's Indian herb, and it actually does help with blood flow, and it actually does help with blood flow to areas, you know, like tendons and ligaments where yeah. blood flow was really hard to get to. But that's, you know, uh, there's a bit of documentation in terms of helping with like where the skin is too loose. Yeah. Um, and that's that's an issue there. I mean, the skin just doesn't have rigidity. It doesn't have that tightness, okay? Yeah. And, um, you know, potentially, I wouldn't just use got a collar by itself, okay, but you use in conjunction with a lot of these other things and that would start to improve some of the issues around cellulite. Yeah, yeah. I remember I had a client once and she had pretty extensive cellulite and it wasn't even something like she had more significant digestive issues. So that's what we were working around. And, you know, we hadn't even sort of thought about what do we do about the cellulite. And within, I reckon it was less than 12 weeks. I reckon eight weeks in, she sent me these photos and her cellulite was completely gone. And we had just been doing, like she hadn't been eating a lot of meat. You know, we'd, we'd been increasing meat intake and collagen intake and, you know, whether that's like slow-cooked meats or whatever. And we're working towards more from like a, a permeability standpoint, but there's a lot of nutrient deficiencies there. But that's all we were doing, just healing the gut, providing nutrient support, like just really just filling her with nutrients. 
And even without tackling hormones, because obviously hormones are a big aspect of cellulite and it's the main thing people talk about, but we didn't even do anything hormonally. We just gave it nutrients and it completely eliminated it. Yeah, and the big thing I would say, I mean, because the microbiome are involved in the production of, you know, hormones, they actually send signals to the endocrine glands telling them what hormones to release, how much of the hormone to release. I mean, if you look after that stuff, you're going to be looking after the hormonal balance anyway. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, going after hormones first is a bit sort of, chasing your tail a bit isn't it definitely well i think we covered them all let's yeah. <laughs> i didn't think we were going to get I mean, like, I'm, I'm sure there's probably i'm, I'm sure there's probably there's, there's always more, more in say. there okay yeah. but yeah but look i think we covered like you know some of those major skin issues and i think people starting to get an understanding that there's it's really coming down to the gut to skin access yeah, yeah. Okay? the gut is the mothership and you, if you repair the mothership you rectify a lot of these bacterial issues the structural damage within the gut lining it's just going to have a knock-on effect to the to, to the skin. Okay, I mean, it can continue to use these things that are really just like masking the actual problem, but you're not long-term going to fix it. No, no. I'm not being harsh. I'm just being worse. honest. Yeah. Yeah, people, you know, they're using doxycycline, using antibiotics, using a lot of these things that ultimately it's, yeah, it's it's just going to worsen microbiome balance and it's it's probably going to exacerbate other issues and maybe even exacerbate this issue. So our hope is that this is empowering, you know. Hopefully, yes, and there might be a lot to it and you might be thinking, holy crap, I had no idea that, you know, leaky gut or whatever could be contributing to this, but at least there's an answer. There's a, a plausible answer for you to discover. And it's not just that, you know, this is your 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 lot in life and there's nothing you can do about it. And you were just born with rosacea or eczema or psoriasis. Like it blows my mind when I speak to people who are like, you know, uh, like it's almost like an identity. I've got rosacea, I've got eczema and nothing I can do about it. Yeah, there is. Like, dude, there's something that's causing that. Like it's not your, your body wasn't designed just to have psoriasis like you're not unique there's something which is actually a mechanism there so hopefully for some people this is um the first step i guess to actually working out kind of what's causing some of these issues for sure yeah fix fix the mothership that's it okay thank you dave we'll see you guys next time all right see you guys see you jake thanks so much for listening guys As always, we hope this podcast was helpful. If you want to continue to connect with us, our social media profiles are linked in the show notes. And don't forget, the contents of this podcast are for educational purposes only. None of the information provided in a gut feeling is intended to treat, diagnose, or give medical advice. So please consult a healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle.